Good morning, and welcome back to Maybank Kimeng's ASEAN Speaks podcast. Dow and the S&P 500 finished at record highs last week as macro data shows growth accelerating in both US and China. Bond markets also rallied, but over in China, Huarong, the state-backed distressed debt manager, has come under intense scrutiny after a Chinese rating group cuts its outlook to negative, and bond markets question if the government would actually step in to guarantee its debts. I think a default in terms of failing to make payment for coupon and principal on maturity, we think the chances are still low. Um, and in fact, the market sentiment has improved uh, following um, the news that the, com- the company is going to make payment for their Sing dollar bond, which is going to come due next Tuesday. Over in Singapore, a cabinet reshuffle may be announced as early as this week. With the Singapore market topping the charts in terms of year-to-date performance within ASEAN, we ask our Singapore strategist if he expects further momentum to be capped for the SGX. Not yet, is my view. Um, If you look at um, stocks that would directly benefit uh, from this strong economic growth and higher interest rates, uh, they haven't moved as much as the growth stocks in Singapore. Among other topical issues, we will also discuss about Indonesia's manufacturing scene and the events that make it conducive for a turnaround after years of underperformance. So stay with us for the next 20 minutes and let our strategists share the insights that matter in ASEAN. I will now turn over the mic to Chuak Bin, co-head of Maybank's Macro Research Desk, to moderate the show. Hey, hi, morning. Um, Winston, so what's your take on this Huaron asset management and bond turmoil? It's all over Bloomberg. Is there a high risk of a default and any contagion so far on the rest of uh, the China bond market? Yeah, regarding Huarong, yeah, I think it's probably good to give a brief um, what is it about. Um, Huarong is considered a blue chip China central state-owned enterprise. It's majority owned by the MOF. It's also considered a strategically important institution because it um, involved in the management of bad debt, the NPL, for the China banking system. And if you look at the rating, it carries a median rating of A3 or A-. minus. It's almost comparable to Malaysia sovereign. So it was a huge surprise to the market for it to uh, become a fallout. And the company missed the deadline to report its earnings um, by the 31st of March. And subsequently, came out the news about potential financial restructuring. And I think until recently, there had been no assurance from the Chinese government that um, they would make good um, to uh, fully repay the bonds. So at one point, um, the Huarong offshore dollar bonds were trading at distressed levels with credit spreads widening to more than 100 bips, uh, sorry, 1,000 bips in certain part of the curve. Mm -hmm. So regarding um, Harbin's question, uh, whether there's a high risk of default, I think a default in terms of failing to make payment for coupon and principal on maturity, we think the chances are still low. Um, And in fact, the market sentiment has improved following um, the news that the the company is going to make payment for their Sing dollar bond, which is going to come due next Tuesday. And the China regulator, uh, I think on last Friday, they um, they said um, Huarong has sufficient liquidity. But of course, having said that, um, this doesn't mean there will be no haircuts for all bondholders, especially for the uh, subordinated debts. Okay, thanks, Vincent. Let's move on to Lin for Singapore strategy. I think so. I think it's a good bullish call on the Singapore's market and SDI. I think it's uh, within your striking uh, distance from your target. So Singapore is one of the best performing markets in Asia this year. It's up about 11% since the start. 
And the first quarter GDP growth came in much stronger than expected, um, taking our pulse to 0.2%. Uh, we've revised our growth for the fifth full year down to 6.2% above the government's uh, range. So what do you think? Do you have the markets have, have the markets priced in positive news and a strong growth recovery? Not yet, is my view. Um, if you look at um, stocks that would directly benefit uh, from this strong economic growth and higher interest rates, uh, they haven't moved as much as the growth stocks in Singapore. In fact, growth stocks have outperformed uh, value stocks by about 66% year-to-date. I mean, pre-COVID, the differential was zero. Uh, but we do see something interesting. There is a rotation out of growth to value stocks uh, starting to take place in Singapore around, from around third quarter. We saw the same thing happening in the US from around first quarter of this year. So I think as long as the bullish economic forecast starts to become more and more visible, uh, the momentum should start to pick up. So at this stage, what are your favorite top sectors? And can you remind us of your top picks as well? And any um, catalysts of risks you'll be watching out for? So I, I like to stick with value stocks at this stage. Uh, in fact, most of our sector and stock picks are value stocks. In terms of sectors, we like the financials, transport, plantations, consumer and the industrial REITs. Uh, we are not recommending to be completely out of growth stocks at this stage. We like uh, some of the tech names as well as healthcare from structural growth. Uh, our top 10 picks for value are DBS, OCBC, Comfort Delgro, First Resources, Singtel, Tybev, and but we also like AEM, Franken, and QNM as well. Um, I mean, I think in terms of catalyst, the major one uh, would be a clearer pathway to herd immunity and more liberal economic reopening across the region. Well, I think um, you know the risks really are another third wave or a fourth wave coming through at this stage. Thanks, Talon. Let's move on to Jue. I think Jue, you released a Niger thematic report. Um, highlighting that the manufacturing sector may finally be turning the corner, and this is after years of underperformance. So what are the catalysts that's driving this inflection point for manufacturing? Yep, hi, morning. Uh, so some of the factors that uh, make uh, the, the reform for manufacturing sector dif different this time uh, is firstly the labour law reforms under the omnibus law uh, that will address the bottlenecks that have historically weighed on foreign investment uh, and reindustrialization. Uh, under the omnibus law, severance payments have been reduced significantly to a maximum of 19 months from the previous 32, and employment of foreign workers have also been simplified. And also another major change was uh, foreign ownership ceilings were lifted for nearly all sectors, including those that were previously reserved for 100% domestic ownership, uh, for instance, car dealerships. Uh, secondly, uh, the new sovereign wealth fund, the Indonesia Investment Authority, or the INA, uh, which has so far received pledges worth $20 billion, uh, that will support infrastructure spending, given that fiscal space may be limited post-pandemic with public debt uh, already approaching 40% of GDP. Uh, thirdly, the Jokowi administration is actively uh, trying to attract more foreign investment for companies exiting from China. Uh, one, of its, uh, one of the ways is developing Batang Integrated Industrial Park in central Java, uh, and land lease charges have been waived for the first five years for foreign investors. Uh, last year, seven companies chose Batang as their production base uh, with a total investment of around $850 million. Uh, Lastly, the government is also embarking on a mission to develop Indonesia as an EV hub uh, by utilizing its ample nickel reserves. It's the largest, uh, it has the largest nickel reserves in the world. 
Uh, this can help lift Indonesia's auto exports, which currently accounts for just 4% of Indonesia's exports and 0.4% of global auto exports. So Jake, can you give us a few names of the big emerging investors and companies uh, going into Indonesia's manufacturing sector? Sure. Uh, yeah, so Singapore and Japan have been the largest foreign investors in the past, uh, but China and South Korea are emerging as major investors in recent years. Uh, China and South Korea are also among uh, the countries looking to invest in the EV industry. Uh, some of the names are China's contemporary Amperex Tax and Korea's Hyundai and LG Chemicals. Um, other big names participating, participating in the EV drive are Japan's Toyota, Subishi, uh, Suzuki, Honda. Uh, and also Tesla is also under negotiation with Indonesia uh, to look into investing in the EV sector. Uh, also on a highlight that last year, uh, despite the pandemic recession, Indonesia was able to attract foreign investment in the manufacturing sector, uh, which rose to a four-year high of $13 billion. Uh, some of the names uh, of companies who committed to relocate their facilities include South Korea's LG Electronics, uh, Japan's Panasonic and Denso, as well as uh, US Johnson & Johnson and Heinz. Okay, let's bring in uh, Isna, our strategist for Indonesia. So Isna, which of the local companies will benefit from this manufacturing boom? And do you think really Indonesia can displace Thailand as an you know, automobile, automobile ASEAN hub, um, I guess, um, on the back of this electric vehicle uh, boost? Okay, uh, thank you, Hakbin. I think uh, there are two main beneficiaries. I think the direct beneficiaries, of course, the uh, nickel companies like Aneka Tambang and uh, Vale Indonesia because uh, they will benefit from the increasing demand uh, for nickel from the uh, battery segment. And second one, uh, I think the industrial estate companies uh, like the AKR, uh, Pura Delta, and also Bakasi Baja because we expect that this uh, omnibus law will create additional investment uh, for the industrial estate in the medium to long term. For the indirect beneficiaries, I would think that the property companies uh, will become uh, the one of the major beneficiaries and we like Chiputa, uh, Sumarekon and also Pakuon. Uh, last but not least, uh, I think that the consumer companies, especially those uh, serving the mass market segment like uh, ICBP, I think will also benefit because this manufacturing boom will create a new uh, class of of the uh, class of the low income uh, working working people, so those are the companies that will benefit from the manufacturing boom. And uh, for your questions regarding the whether Indonesia can really de displace Thailand as the uh, hub for the automotive, I'm not really sure uh, because I think that the main problem for for EV itself is is the pricing, right? Uh, and uh, the problem is not only in Indonesia but also the problem is is across ASEAN. So I expect that. And even in Nice, it's probably only 5 to 10% uh, of the consumers can really afford uh, EV at the current price. So uh, I don't think uh, uh, that EV uh, shift will really uh, displace the combustion engine-based cars, uh, at least in the medium term. So I think okay. Thailand will continue to remain the main hub for automotive. Okay, great. Thanks, Mr. Joey. Um, let's bring in Rachel. Um, Big headlines last week, Citibank is throwing in the towel, um, including in ASEAN, so exiting the retail and consumer banking business across many countries in the Philippines, um, but also 13 other countries, including Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand, Vietnam, China. City is going to retain and focus on its four wealth centers in Singapore, Hong Kong, UAE, UAE and London. So Rachel, how big is City actually in the Philippines and uh, will the Philippine banks um, benefit? 
uh, any job cuts and do you expect any other foreign banks to exit? Hi, good morning. Um, so PH business comprised around 0.3% of Citigroup's total assets. So based on its latest disclosure um, on the, with the central bank as of 2020, it has a total assets amounting to, to, to 331.3 billion around 153 billion in loans, 214.7 billion in deposits. So as of 2020, it is the top 13 bank in the country in terms of total assets. So currently, um, City has an outstanding retail loan book of uh, 67.2 billion pesos, which comprises about 7.7% of total loans for household consumption, which are consumer loans, uh, excluding housing, of universal and commercial banks. So City's exit could be an opportunity for local and foreign banks to expand into City's current clients. So as of now, though, it's still unclear how the exit will push through, like um, whether City will be selling their retail loans and deposits to other local banks, like what they announced with that what will happen in India. So if this were the case, the acquiring bank could, could absorb City's existing employees, resulting in minimal job losses. However, there is still a possibility that the acquiring bank would do manpower cutting, so job loss is still a possibility. If instead City were to sell their loan accounts at a certain discount and not the entire business, this would be a different story, as the buying banks would not, will have no need to hire City's retail employees. Um, in terms of whether other foreign banks will follow through, we've been hearing um, news on HSBC plans on exiting the retail banking business as well. So um, in terms out of the banks in our coverage, we believe BDO and Metro Bank has the most appetite for expanding their retail exposures, particularly in credit cards for Metro Bank, where City is known to be a significant player. So even if BDO and MBT is, only, is able to capture only 50% of City's retail loans, um, their consolidated retail loan book would rise by as much as 3.6% for 2021 translating to around 1.8% to 2.2% bump in earnings. So that's it for me. Okay. Thanks, Rachel. Let's bring in Talin, our ASEAN bank uh, uh, strategist. So Talin, how big is City in the other markets? You know, Is it um, in terms of size, Malaysia, Indonesia? Does it move the other the needle for the local banks um, if these um, this loans are, are bought? I, I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, they're, they're, they're generally quite small. Um, I think if you really look at it, uh, for a lot of large uh, global banks, they have attempted to grow consumer business in ASEAN before and have had limited success. If you recall back in 2016, ANZ also exited from their consumer uh, wealth business in most of the ASEAN countries and North Asia. I mean, the thing is, each of these ASEAN countries have dominant local players, uh, and they've all come out of this crisis pretty strong with very strong capital ratios. Um, so they will most likely buy up a city's portfolio. Um, from a regional point of view, I think some of the winners will actually be the three uh, domestic Singapore banks, DBS, OCBC, and UOB, and also Maybank and CIMB. Uh, who already have a pan ASEAN presence? They have an ASEAN strategy, so it it will make sense for them to uh, buy up um, City's portfolio, especially in the markets that they overlap. Do you see this as a precursor for other foreign banks like I don't know, Standard HSBC to also uh, withdraw? I think if you really look at a lot of the sort of 
second line global banks that are in operations in a lot of these uh, countries consumer is becoming less and less of an attractive position for uh, for a lot of them to be in for them really you know the consumer business was almost like a feeder business to their wealth management business and i think the wealth management business is where uh, there will be a lot more focus on so i think i wouldn't be surprised if you start to see more rationalizing of the consumer consumer business and more uh, investments and more resources being diverted by these global banks into their wealth management and private banking which is what city has also uh, mentioned okay thanks then thanks rachel um lastly let's bring in yuani on the thai uh, private hospitals it looks like private hospitals are benefiting from the higher covid testing and possibly the vaccination drive um so yuani how big is the impact on revenue or profits from this testing and vaccination for the hospitals Thank you. The COVID testing impact on revenues and profitability is between three to thirteen percent, with BCH being the highest. For the vaccination drive, we still don't know yet. The government aims for uh, the private sector to provide ten million doses, but we simply do not know whether they will find the vaccines or how much the cost and margins will be. But I think if it's really 10 million doses, it will be very uh, significant for the private sector. So it looks like the COVID cases are rising again. It looks like a fourth wave. Um, should we be worried? Yes, we should be, especially with Bangkok being the epicenter of the infection, which uh, means more economic damage, and also the infection rate keeps rising. And not peaking yet, so if prolonged, this could be the bad for the economy. I think the problem will not go away until we are uh, significantly vaccinated. And as for the vaccination plan, uh, it is that we could uh, vaccinate about half of the population by the end of the year, which which is not much. <laughs> 